We're just going to lift the very first verse of Psalm 136, but keep your Bible open because we will be referring to it extensively. Psalm 136 and verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let's read it again. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you for what you've done and all you're doing. Thank you for the songs that have been sung. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry of the youth and the ministry of Rebecca and Sarah. Thank you for it all, Lord, but preeminently we thank you for the doing and the dying of your precious and only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for the blood. We thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. All who have come in repenting and saving faith in Christ alone, you've saved us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you're willing to save. You're ready to save again. And, oh, God, we pray if there is one here tonight or some, Lord, they're not yet born again of your spirit. We pray, oh, God, that they would find the enduring mercy of God And Lord, that you would secure them for eternity. May thy spirit, may he move, may he open hearts and minds. May he regenerate dead spirits and make quick, Lord, our very thoughts of Christ. Turn us to him. Turn the believing heart again to him. Turn the believer's mind to him that we might behold his beauty his wonder, his glory, his sacrifice. Well, thank you tonight, Lord, we're not come, Lord, to a a dead God, but to the living God. Well, thank you, Lord, that you are risen from the dead. You're ascended into glory. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, thank you that one day you'll return for your bride. Glorify your name in here this evening. Among this people, glorify your name among those who are watching live or even later, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Lord, there be a cry and a sound of new birth. Restore the backslidden, heal the sick, comfort the bereaved. Oh God, that you'd have your way. We bless your holy name tonight. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have accomplished for sinners for a wretch like us. So, Lord, we pray, may thy spirit move upon us to the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight we want to speak on the enduring mercy of God. The enduring mercy of God. Psalm 136 and verse 1 says, O give thanks unto the Lord, or to Yah, Jehovah, or Yahweh. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he, Jehovah, is good. For his mercy, Jehovah's mercy, endureth forever. 
And in this short verse, just verse 1 of the psalm, there's three points in it. The whole psalm, if you want, but the whole verse also, it has a great exclamation. A great exclamation is made. And there's point one in it is there is an earnest exhortation. An earnest exhortation. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Notice, oh, the pathos, the urgency, the earnest exhortation is, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. And secondly, there is a a definite declaration, a definite declaration. For then the psalmist says, for he, the Lord, is good. That's a definite declaration, something that we can, as it were, lay our full eternity and our welfare upon, on the goodness of God to those who know him. And then, of course, thirdly, in this little verse, there is a powerful proclamation, a powerful proclamation for the psalmist says, for his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. Now, Psalm 136 has 26 verses. And in each verse it says, the great powerful proclamation for his mercy, the Lord's mercy, Yahweh, Jehovah God, his mercy endureth forever. So we are going to do this as it were back the front and do point three first. Notice here, it is a powerful proclamation that the mercy of God is everlasting. That the mercy of God endures that the mercy of God endureth forever. Now, the word endureth, if you're reading the proper translation, the KJV, it says it is in italics, so it is not in the original Greek text. But it does no harm to the text. It is not in the original Greek text, and simply it would say, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy forever. For his mercy forever. The endureth in every verse of the full 26 verses. It gives the idea that God's mercy is not just forever, but it endures. It endures with the man and the woman whom he has saved. Some may say the word endureth could possibly, also possibly, or even should be, replaced or read as it says let me just read now you know i don't do other versions but just bear with me in the bible the bible in basic english translation it says his mercy is unchanging forever that's nice his mercy is unchanging forever wickliffe's bible says for his love is forever and then we have holman's christian bible says his love is eternal. And common English Bible says God's faithful love lasts forever. And then lastly, the American Standard Version says, for his loving kindness endureth forever. You see, here we find that everyone has a different thought and idea on the mercy enduring forever. And we're all come, they're all come to an agreement that 
God's love or God's mercy endures forever. But for me, there's something about the way the King James Version has been translated that means so much more and is so much deeper. Means so much more and it is so much deeper. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. In other words, yes, we agree it is unchanging. Of course it is unchanging. It is, as it were, love forever or eternal. But the word endureth, which the translators put there in every verse, these scholars who prayed for hours every day before they put pen to paper, endureth forever, they say. It means, yes, it endures, but the word endure gives it not only that it stands with us, but the word endure here gives the idea that he endures us. He endures us forever. Because we're human, because we are frail, because we fall and we falter. As believers, sometimes we are the worst because we are human, because we are flesh and blood and bone, endureth forever. In other words, his mercy endures with me. The mercy of God, we're going to look at it more in depth in a minute. His mercy endures with me. I looked up just simply the Bible, and if you were to look up a Greek concord or a, sorry me, a Hebrew, I said Greek earlier, a Greek concordance, and you looked up the Hebrew one here. If you look up the Hebrew, the word endurance is not there. There's no word to give you a word for the endurance here. So I looked up the Bible, what the, or pardon me, the dictionary, to see what the Bible is saying here. What does this word endure mean in modern English even? It means to abide, to bear, to stand, to suffer with, to tolerate. It means, and it implies continuing, firm and resolute through trials. And through difficulties. So the mercy of the Lord endures. Or the mercy of God. It abides with us. It bears us. It stands with us. The mercy of the Lord. It endures. It suffers us. And tolerates. Works with us. It is resolute. And firm. Even in our trials. And our difficulties. I am so thankful. For the mercy of God. I am so thankful. For the mercy of God. Yes I I feel there's more. That these translators had put this in. His mercy endures. Forever. Notice here. We're going to look at a powerful proclamation then. His mercy endureth forever. The word mercy here in the Hebrew is the word chesed. Chesed. And it does mean loving kindness as it's been put into other 
translations. It, it does mean favor. It means loyal love. Loyal love. That there's a loyal love about God's mercy. It implies, are you ready? Zeal. Z-E-A-L. Zeal towards someone. God shows a zeal towards those whom he loves and love him too. There's a zeal about the heart of God for you, brother, and a zeal about the heart of God for you, sister, that in that zeal you have mercy. In that zeal you have loving kindness. And in that seal of God, it stands with you. That seal of God abides and it bears with you. That zeal of God, it, it even tolerates us when we are even at times unlovable. The zeal of God, his heart towards someone. The zeal of God is resolute with us and loyal love, loyal love of God. The zealous love toward those whom he has saved. But this case said also, I want you to take note of this. This case said also rests, it, it is, if you want, pressed upon, it is founded on covenant love. Covenant love. And that means so much, you see, because here we're talking about in, in the Old Testament, we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant love of, the, of God to him and his seat. Talking about the, the covenant love of God to the Hebrews in Israel and then through Judah into David or whoever. They think David has written this psalm, but we're not sure. And the covenant love, there's a zeal about covenant love. That God has made a promise and he will not defer to make it come to pass nor keep it. But when I think of the covenant love of the new covenant, the new covenant that our Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood and died. The new covenant where Christ climbed up, as it were, Calvary's mountain. The new covenant where Jesus was kneeled hand and foot to the tree. The new covenant where that spear pierced his riven side. What a covenant love that Christ would die for us. That Christ would give his life for us. That Christ would shed his blood for us and pay the debt for us. Now that's a covenant love. That is a covenant love and it is the mercy of God. It shows the zeal, the Z-E-A-L, the zeal of God for a wretch like me. The zeal of God's heart by the giving of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The zeal of God that he would search you out by his Holy Spirit the seal of God that he would call your name, the seal of God that he would rest his mark and his eye upon you when you're in the depths of your sin and you were dead in your trespasses and in your sin. And the seal of God, the seal of the covenant love of Christ, oh, it found me in a horrible pit. And he brought me up also from the same pit and from the Murray clay. He set my feet upon a rock he's established my goings and he's put a new what's the word song in my mouth oh I had the song of the drunkard I had the song of the drug addict I had the song of the sinner 
The man on the broad road to destruction. I used to sing the songs of the world and the songs of the ungodly. But now I am singing a new song. Saved by grace alone. This is all my plea. That Jesus, he would die for all mankind. I, Jesus died for me. Brothers and sisters, covenant love. Calvary. Covenant love, the cross. Covenant love, the blood. Covenant love, the doing and the dying of Christ. Covenant love and the zeal of the Father. And the zeal of the Holy Ghost. I, he drew us to the great cross of Calvary. There I see him by faith. There I see the wounds he bore. There we may sing our songs. And there we may lift our voice. But I can tell you there we should sing like Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Brothers and sisters, isn't your Savior wonderful? He's wonderful. Wonderful Christ. And so it rests on covenant love. And in fact, we read about it, we'll not turn to it, in Luke chapter 1, when Christ is to be taken as he is dedicated unto the Lord. Here is proclaimed the covenant love of God to Israel. And you see, now the blood that was shed, that covenant love has come down through the years right to you and to me. We're always talking about grace, aren't we? And some people think there's, uh, you know, grace can, you know, give you a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. But grace is rather an empowerment to get up when you fall and go on with God. Tells you there's hope in Christ. Grace tells you you're not done yet. Grace tells you your Father forgives. Grace tells you that Christ still loves you. Grace tells you that there's a covenant was made that we might make it right to the very end. Aren't you thankful you're saved? If you're thankful you're saved, would you shout hallelujah? Praise the Lord. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a mighty God. And listen, you see, grace means uh, unmerited favor and so forth, and it is, but a grace is also termed as to receive that which we do not deserve. To receive that which we do not deserve. Unmerited favor. To receive that which we do not deserve. We didn't deserve the Father to give us Son. We didn't deserve this covenant love of God. We didn't deserve the Son to come, to bleed, to die in, in agony, taking our sin and shame. We deserve none of it. But we received it because He did it. And here... Grace says to receive that which we do not deserve. Puritan Thomas Goodwin said a simple phrase, and if you catch it, it's marvelous. He said, grace is the freeness of love. Grace is the freeness of love. The great heart of the zeal of the Father for those whom he had looked upon from eternity and he's seen a fallen race, a human race. And the zeal of God was to save. 
and that freeness of his love sent to you and given to me. That is grace. God loved and he gave to the undeserving when he saved us. So we're always talking about grace and mercy seems to be the little brother, doesn't it? Really, it's the twin track. It's, it's, the, it's not the little brother, but the twin. And mercy, since grace is to receive that which we do not deserve, mercy is to not receive that which we do deserve. To not receive that which we do deserve. I deserved. In my lost estate, my depraved nature, in my sin and shame, born and shaped in iniquity and sin that my mother conceived me. I deserved to die in my sin. I deserved the judgment throne. I deserved to be called guilty as charged, proclaimed over my life. I deserved to be on the broad road to destruction. I deserved to be found guilty and sent to a lake of fire. I deserved it, but I didn't get that. Do you know why? Because of covenant love of Christ. Because the Father gave us only begotten that you and I might be saved. Mercy. That's mercy. You deserve that. I deserve that. Every one of us deserve that. The Father didn't give us it because Jesus, he took it in our place. Think about this. Jesus took this in our place. I was reading during the week of the Reverend Thomas Hooper. He was a congregational preacher and he was a mighty preacher in Connecticut and Massachusetts. And he, he was one of the founders around that area of, of the congregationalists. And he was he was in the he was just turned sixty one when he died. And when he was dying, it's written that someone went to see him, to console him in his dying moments. And the man who visited Thomas Hooker said these words, Sir, you are going to receive the reward of your labor. To which Thomas Hooker said, Brother, I am going to receive mercy. I am going to receive mercy. Now, yes, I agree with him. And by the way, Thomas Hooker had a couple of uh, stranger ideas around grace, but well, that's for another time. Yes, I agree. And the truly saved, the truly, truly saved. I'm not talking about the churchy people, the religious people. I'm talking about the truly saved blood-washed, blood-bought, spirit-sealed, born-again, born-from-above Christian will receive mercy. Of course, we will receive mercy when we shed our mortal coil and leave this scene of time and depart this world. Yes, of course, all in Christ who are truly saved by grace through faith in Christ alone will receive mercy, of course, but... The fact of it all is that we have already received mercy. And that then are in which we were drawn by the Holy Spirit of God to behold the Lamb of God 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And we cried for mercy. And there we received mercy. Christ took that which was duly ours. That's mercy. Christ took that which was duly ours. That's mercy. And Christ gave that which was only his. And that's grace. And that's grace. Dr. William R. Newell penned this song, this hymn. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. No, not it was for me. He died at Mercy then was great and grace was free. Ah, and there was love to fight to me. And my friends of my liberty, I found glory. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Why? For his mercy endureth forever. See, tomorrow, see, tonight, whenever I wrote this yesterday, had it in my head, it was growing in my head, and I thought, yesterday, I sat and wrote it. Went out for a walk with the dog, my old prayer partner. I went out and walk with him and I just kept saying, Lord, thank you that you have loved me for your mercy endureth forever. Father, thank you that you took me from my sin and shame for your mercy endureth forever. Father, you thank you when you love me when I'm unlovable. You help me when I'm unhelpable. You've touched me when I was untouchable. You've healed me when I was unhealable because your mercy endureth forever. So where I was going. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for this covenant love that your mercy endures forever. I thank you you've loved me from before the foundation of the world. And Lord, it's moments like this that I just afresh realize it, that your mercy endures forever. See, no matter what you're facing, maybe you're going home, your mercy endureth forever. Maybe you've got a bit of trouble at home. Lord, your mercy endures forever. Maybe, Christian, you've got a bit of doubting in your mind. Your mercy endures forever. Maybe you're thinking, you know, maybe I'm washed up and done with. Listen, his mercy 
endures forever. Monday, you think about it. Tuesday, let it ring in your ears. Or read it as you go through the week. But his mercy endures forever. And make that proclamation. Lord, your mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks. The word is yada. Yada. And I want you to see this. This word, give thanks, gives the idea of someone drawing a bow up toward heaven and letting it go. Or someone taking a stone and throwing it in the air. Strange, isn't it? It's the action it implies. It means to hold out your hands in worship as if you've let it go. Let the arrow go. Throw on the stone, you've let it go. You know, you need to take what's holding you back, brothers and sisters. You need to take what's holding you down. You need to bring all those burdens. You say, here, Lord, they're yours. And it means to hold up your hands and worship. It means to extend your hands while confessing that God is great. Lord, I give it all to you. Lord, I put it all into your hands. Lord, I worship you because your mercy endures forever. Lord, I thank you that you've put up with me. I thank you you've stood by me. I thank you you're always with me, neither to leave me nor forsake me. Lord, I want to leave it all in your care and keeping. That's the idea of it. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. It's the idea of this. These people were as stiff as you think, you know. Secondly, and briefly, is the earnest exhortation. Is the earnest exhortation. And notice we'll give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Take note, three times in the first three verses, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, in verse 1. Then it says, we'll give thanks unto the Lord, unto the, pardon me, we'll give thanks unto the God of gods for his mercy endureth forever in verse 2. And then in verse 3, we'll give thanks unto the Lord of lords for his mercy endureth forever. Now take note. God then puts it into the pen, as it were, the quill of the psalmist. The Holy Spirit lays it upon him and he writes in conclusion to the psalm. Notice what it says in verse 26, the fourth time. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven. What is he saying? Why is he saying this? Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven for his mercy endureth forever. I'll tell you why he's saying it. He's showing a distinction by the time of the end of the psalm. A distinction from that which is earthly and heavenly, between that which is man-made and God-made. He's shown a distinction between that which is idolatry and divine. And he's saying, God, you are the God of heaven and not a God made of man's hands. He's shown a distinction of it. And listen, brothers and sisters and friends tonight, this same one came down to die for you in the person of his son, 
This same God came in mercy. In fact, when you were up to no good, when you are in the world, and so was I, he came as it were, and his love stood with us. For God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word commendeth means exhibit, to show forth, but it also means to come on stand aside the common stand aside Ken's in his sin Tim is in an old Shabin Tim is getting up to no good and yet he loved me stood with me Tim was in court I didn't even know him. Yet he was standing with me. His love was toward me. Ken was arrested when he was 12, then 14, then 17, then 21. He's standing with me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Covenant love. I love you. And see you where you are, where you are. And see what you do, what you do. And none knows but God. Hear his voice, not mine. Hear his voice tonight. But I'm with you. And I love you. He doesn't love your sin. He wants you to turn from it. How can you? Turn away such love. How can you resist him so long? The earnest exhortation is, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. It's earnest. Three times, verses 1, 2, and 3, and then he finishes the psalm. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. Thirdly, the definite declaration. He's good. We give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. Would you say good? good. Say he is good. He is. Oh, he's good. No, Paul tells us there's none good. No, not one. None. There's none good. No, not one. In Mark chapter 10, we have that young man who runs to the Lord. I'll just paraphrase it without reading the whole, the whole scene of it. Good master, what good thing must I do? That's our hearts. We think we must do to be saved. We're saved by grace, remember? We receive that which we do not deserve. And we don't receive that which we did deserve in mercy. But good master, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Why callest thou me good? That's what Jesus said. Why callest thou me good? Listen, there is none good but one. Not from Adam, 
not from Adam, the whole way down the line of you. There's none good. I'm good enough. The Bible says you're not. The Bible says we're not. Jesus says, why are you calling me good? There's none good but one. Who is it? He says, but God. You know what that means? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. I'm good. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The word good is kalos in the Greek New Testament. You know what it means? It means I am the attractive, winsome shepherd. That's what he does. He touches our hearts. He comes and he speaks into the depths of our depravity. And he comes to very pits and, and places where we are. And he just doesn't say, let me help you up as he reaches down. No, but rather he gets right down into it with you. And he says, come on, get up. And he lifts you up out of it. Lifts you right up. There's none good but one. That is God. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. In other words, essentially, he is goodness itself. God is in a state, as it were, uh, God is goodness in himself. So essentially, he is goodness itself. Practically, he's good for all he does, do I? For all he does, he's good. And we all think, well, God's good when he does, 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 and gives, 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 and answers and answers and answers the way we want it, we want it, we want it, the me, myself, and I. And he said, well, God's good, and when God doesn't answer the way we think, or when things don't go our way, then God, you're not good. And God says, there's none of you good, no, not one. Jesus says, there's none good but one. He stands, as it were, in his very nature, essentially good. Practically, he is good for all he does, and relatively, he is good to all his creatures. This covenant love and mercy shows the goodness of our God. And listen, listen. God is gracious to everyone, even the unsaved. It's called common grace. When the rain comes and waters the crop, when the food grows, it's common grace. They get what you get in the sense of the things we need, the provisions. They eat what you eat and we eat what they eat in that sense. The farms are, 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 have their crops in and so forth. That's common grace. But then there are those of us who have received saving grace. We have beheld the Lamb of God. We have seen Christ in the cross, on the cross. We have been drawn by the Holy Spirit. We have looked upon him in faith and realized that we were sinners before a holy God. And there we had deciding grace. 
relatively to all his creatures, he's good. A definite declaration is, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is present tense. Notice, not was good, not even will be good. He is present tense. Do you know your heavenly father right this moment, right this very moment, what time's out? That's five minutes fast, that club. <laughs> I think, unless I'm five minutes slow. I'm going by my watch. At five past seven on a Sunday evening. What date is it? The 18th of June. Your heavenly father is present tense. He's good. He is good. What Paul says about himself, there is no good thing that dwelleth in me. This is the great apostle of, of the Lamb. This is the great apostle who wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. He looks at himself and he says, he's all full of woe because he realizes in his flesh, even following Christ, that, that he feels. That he feels. Because he's in a body of flesh. And he says, who shall deliver me? From the body of this flesh. Says there's things I want to do and I can't because of it. Or I should do and I don't. Or I shouldn't do and I do. But who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he take it, took it from an old uh, torture. It was, a, it was actually when a criminal was found guilty of a certain crime. A serious. They tied a dead body and chained it around the criminal, and he had to walk about with the weight of the dead body until it rotted away, and the rot went into his own skin. The rot infected his own blood until the rot would kill him. Paul takes that and he says, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Maybe you feel like that tonight. That's your life. Oh, what am I going to do? Listen, I'll tell you who can deliver you. It's about covenant love. The Lord Jesus Christ. He delivered me. He's delivered you. He says, there's no good thing that dwelleth in me. Paul said that. There's no good thing that dwelleth in me. That is in my flesh. In other words, that is in my humanity because the Holy Ghost was in him. He couldn't say that about his spirit anymore. So I finish with this thought. In Psalm 136, we're not going to read it just for time's sake, but from verses 2 to 9, if, you, well, if you're taking notes, you can jot it down and read it later when you get a chance. But it speaks of God on high. We've read the first three verses. He's a God of gods. He's a Lord of lords. And verse four, to him alone doeth great wonders for his mercy endureth forever. And you see, in the temple, they would have sang this in Solomon's temple. And then whenever the house of Judah were taken away into Babylon captivity, after they're coming out again in uh, the little book of Ezra chapter 3 on verse 11, on the second month, and that's another study, but on the second month of their calendar year, they realize as they're building Zerubbabel's temple, 
they realize they've found the word. They've found the scroll. Solomon, when he was laying the foundations of the temple, uh, you'll read about that in 1 Kings chapter 6. And he's laying the foundations. He has all of this down in the second month as well. They must have looked at him. There's something about this second month there is, but that's another story. But here's the thing. They were rejoicing. Do you know what they were rejoicing for? Because they were in part of God's plan and economy. They were seeing the work of God built. They had found the scrolls again. They had seen the hidden books. And they start to see the word of God. And they start going, listen, look at this. That's God's word. Look at that. Look, can we read that in public? What do you think? Can we read that out in public? And, and if we can read this, surely the Lord will bless us. And we're part of his work. And we're building the foundations. And it's the second month just like before in Solomon's temple. And they start rejoicing. And do you know what they sing? I think it's Ezra 3 and 11. Do you know what they sing? They sing Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. They were glad they were going to church. They were glad they were going to church. See, from the whole COVID thing, do you realize the church was decimated? Do you know why? People got used to sitting at home. Loads of churches aren't even open again. Some churches don't open on the Lord's Day evening. Listen, I'm glad that I'm going to church and there's an open door, there's an open Bible. I'm glad that I'm meeting up with my brothers and sisters, my brethren in Christ. I'm glad that we have still, still maybe change soon, but I have this freedom and this liberty that was hard fought for and won. I'm glad tonight. And I would say, oh, let's open the book and read it. Let's open the book and preach it. Let's open the book and believe it. And let's rejoice that we're part of God's economy and work. Brothers and sisters, we should be rejoicing that we're here tonight. We should be rejoicing that we're saved By the way, the only time those doors are going to be closed is if the dogs get sick of us. He's turning his head. (laughs) If the dogs get sick of us. Well, not sick if you want us, right? Because you're already sick of us, maybe, you know, but he's not, by the way. But if the dogs get sick of us or with somewhere else, the building God has for us. And you know what? We're looking forward to it and we'll say, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Listen, we're all in the mercy of God tonight. One way thing, and I promise you I'll close with this. Seeing this, if you read through this, look at verse 15. But overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea. See the word overthrew, by the way? Gives the idea of shaking a tree. You shake it and shake it and the bad fruit falls off. And you keep on shaking it and you shake it to the left and the right, violently shaking it. And the leaves start falling off the tree and becomes bare and naked. That's the idea. Do you know what it says? See the devil, the pharaoh. See the enemy and his, and his minions, the devil and all his, his spiritual forces of wicked and darkness. You know what they're saying here? See when the Lord saved me. He took me, as it were, and every demon and devil that held me, every addiction that bound me, every chain and fetter that was upon me, he shook it off me by the blood of Christ. He took it and he overthrew the devil. 
The Lord's still on the throne. He's still in control. We're going to get a bit more reverent here in case I scare anybody. And then, lastly, verse 23. Who remembered us in our lowest state. You can write God in high verses 2 to 9. To man below. Verses 21 to 25. To man below. He remembered me in my lowest state. Are you feeling low tonight? Is your thinking low tonight? Is your mood low tonight? Well, you know what? He looks at you and he says, I'm still standing with you. I'm not only right beside you, but I'm living in you. He remembered us in our lowest state, in our sin, in other words, in our waywardness, and hath redeemed us. Would you say redeemed? Not the word he is here for redeemed. It's the word parach in the Hebrew text. Parach. It gives the idea he tore them out of the devil's hold. Pharaoh's hold. See, when I got saved, brothers and sisters, and you, I'm sure you can have your testimony too, but see, when I got saved by the sovereign grace of God, see the night that he saved me, he not only shook off the devil, but he tore me from his clutches. He brought Israel right out and right through the Red Sea and he folded the waters in on top of them that they all died. You know what that's telling me? That when he redeemed me by the blood of Jesus, guess what? Not only was the devil defeated, but he tore me from any influence he had over me. Right out. You see, I've read the back of the book. Jesus wins. In fact, let me rephrase that. I've read the back of the book. He's already won. He's already won. Brothers and sisters, are you glad you're saved tonight? Will you sure amen? amen? Come on, let the devil hear it. Amen. God, we're saved. The enduring mercy of God. He endures. He stands beside me. Even whenever I'm unlovable. He still stands with me. But he corrects me. He corrects me doesn't say you're you're unlovable and you're being rotten just keep on no 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 he chastises his own listen you don't chastise a neighbor's kids i hope you don't anyway you get yourself in trouble you chastise your own you chastise your own someone once said to me your child was acting up where's your naughty step naughty step there. I did. I, I did do that. No, there's there. That's a swift, naughty step. All right. Soon straighten them up. But you do. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have to do that to mine. <laughs> but he chastises his children. You don't chastise your neighbor's kids. And if you're chastised tonight, rejoice. Because, because it means you're not illegitimate. It means you really is. Where's the team? Come on up.